Morning guys and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking all about your back pain. I'm gonna go through some images on the screen for you guys as well so you can really get a good understanding of what exactly we're talking about. We're talking about the lower back. We're gonna go through some x-rays and discuss a few things around there. We've mentioned certain exercises you should and shouldn't be doing in the past. So hopefully this is gonna be really, really helpful for you to understand a little bit more practically what we're actually talking about when we discuss these things. Um, if you're new to the channel, as always, please do consider liking, subscribing to the channel if you do find the content and the videos helpful, and please consider sharing them with someone if you feel they would benefit as well. We're gonna be doing Q&A at the end of today's live stream as well. We've got Lara the other side of the camera, so she'll be taking a look at your comments. And if you've got any questions when we're going through those images, then please do put those in the comments and we can go through them with the images on the screen today, and they should be really, really helpful for you. So with that being said, we'll get into today's live stream. So uh, kind of talking here about what you can do about your back pain. Uh, I've got the topics on the side of the screen. We're going to be going through those images first and foremost. And this is really talking uh, really about pelvic tilt and forward bending. So the forward bending is those sort of knee hugs that people are commonly recommended when we're talking about back pain. People get pull that knee up to the chest, open out the space in the lower back so that those nerves can have some, some freedom. And if you've watched any of our stuff for a period of time, you'll know that we really do not recommend that. Uh, but we want to help you guys understand a little bit more. We've explained why it's bad in many of the live streams before, but I want to just show you guys on the x-ray um, why it's actually recommended. Because if you can understand why it's recommended, at least you understand why why people have told you to do these exercises rather than just com you know completely dismissing them because we, we're not a big fan of them at all. But uh, at least you understand why they're, they're, they're there or why they've been given to you. We'll talk a little bit about pelvic tilt as well. Um, we get a lot of people coming in saying, oh, I've got pelvic tilt, I've got anterior pelvic tilt, etc." And in our experience, oh, the overwhelming majority of people that come in uh, sort of complaining of anterior pelvic tilt, a very, very large number of those people actually have a posterior pelvic tilt rather than an anterior pelvic tilt. And I'll explain again, uh, we've got a really nice x-ray on here that you guys will be able to see, which I'll kind of try to, to help you guys understand um, why that illusion takes place in a lot of cases. And then we'll touch a little bit on chronicity and recovery. This is just, if you've got back pain, you're suffering right now, um, to just help you understand what a sort of recovery pathway looks like. And then we'll also discuss a little bit about just phase one, phase two, phase three, what is actually happening in those phases. Uh, not so much going through the specifics of the exercises in those phases, but more about what's happening in each of those phases and how does it fit into your recovery process when we're talking about getting your back pain fixed. So if we first skip straight over to these images, um, so obviously they're just over here. Uh, we've got the pink dot and the arrows and we've got the red line, uh, sorry, the black line. Um, you'll also see on the screen that you've got the, the bones. The, the image that's going to be uh, closest to me is a hyperlordosis. That is where you've got that red line or the series of red lines on the back of all of the bones, which basically shows you the depth of the curve. Next to that, you've got the uh, little pink dot, and then you've got the green line, which is a little bit more faint, a little bit more difficult to see, but that green line represents the normal curve. And the green line is the same in all of these images, image one, two, and three. And we've just pulled this one off Google. Um, but what you can see here, I've placed that little pink dot there. So you guys can see that space underneath the, the, the pink dot is this hole that we constantly refer to when we're talking about trapped nerves, when we're talking about sciatica, those sorts of things. It's the hole that gets smaller uh, when we have things like stenosis 
differences. So maybe a or, or there's degenerate there's degeneration change. So the disc heights drop and the hole gets smaller. Or there's going to be a disc bulge and it's going to encroach upon that space. But that pink dot highlights the size of the hole when we've got perhaps a little bit of hyperlordosis going on there. Well, not perhaps, definitely. You can see it quite clearly that the, the red the red curve is too deep. Now, when we go over to the far image on the opposite side, you can see where we've got the pink arrows and the pink dot. You can see that same hole at the same level is a lot larger. It's, it's opened out. And at this point in this person's spine, they actually have a forward bend there. So they're in their standing upright position, have what's called a sway back. So imagine you're carrying a heavy box, you lean backwards, and that causes your, 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 your upper lower back to move behind. You can see the green line on there. The green line is now in front of the red line. So that person is swaying backwards. But what you notice there is there's a natural forward bending at that segment. And we can see that it's opening out that hole. And when you guys are instructed to do these knee tucks or, 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 or hugging the knees, etc., um, and really rounding your back in ways that we in, you know, consistently discourage you guys from doing, that is why they're looking to open out that hole on the back of the spine to create more space. Now, we've already discussed the problems of that. It weakens the ligaments on the back of the spine, which we can't see on the x-ray here. And also it puts more pressure through the front of the disc. But at least now you can actually see the difference in size of that hole. And the problem is some of you guys will actually be stuck leaning forwards because that that you, you lean forwards to try and open that hole space. But in the process of doing that, you can see what happens with those pink arrows. You really do squash down on the front of that disc and that creates, uh, the, it allows the problem to get worse essentially because you're driving that disc material, you're putting more pressure through that disc and driving it further back towards the actual hole, which, which creates more trouble. But hopefully this image actually gives you that clear understanding of the hole or the, the, the area where you get the stenosis and what that actually looks like on the x-ray. So quite important there. If you guys have any questions when we're, when we're going through this, please do post those in the comments because I'll be happy to clarify that to you guys. And obviously this is this person's standing posture. If they were to do knee hugs, it would get even worse. And there's probably already some degree of ligament instability at that point in the middle, uh, sort of the middle portion of the lower back. So very important there. Now, you'll also notice that these two phenomenon, the the hyperlordosis, which is on the image uh, closest to me, and then the hypolordosis on the image furthest from me, um, those 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 two images, we've, if we look at the black line at the very bottom, we then see the effects of this anterior and posterior pelvic tilt. So you'll see in the image closest to my head, we've got that very, very steep black line, and that represents an anterior pelvic tilt. We're sticking the bum out, and that's creating that extra shear. It means that your vertebra sat on, on, on that black line, the sacrum, and now they're kind of gonna be slipping off every day, which means we have to compress more to hold it in place. And that is not a good thing for the long term. It creates challenges at that segment. Uh, and also, if it's already uh, increased its lordosis, already squashed down, how much more suspension does it essentially have? We we're supposed to have this nice smooth curve in the lower back so it can absorb shock, it can increase the curve and then unload. And if it's already all the way down here, it's going to affect the capacity for shock absorption in that section of the spine. Now, when we move over to the image furthest from me and we've got a very, very flat uh, sacral base, this angle's called, it's the sacral base, we can see that the discs are now stacked right on top of one another. So there's no capacity for movement. All that's gonna happen with load in this person is gonna be squash, 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 straight onto that disc. And we're not really gonna give it that suspension that it needs because we've tucked that bum so far under 
that even in the standing position, it's very, very, very flat, very close to horizontal, let alone if we're going to be sitting. So many of you guys watching this video right now, you're going to be uh, you know, on lockdown. Maybe some of you are starting to return to work, uh, but being sat down for such a long period when that is the standing position is really, uh, really challenging because you're just putting even more pressure through those discs. So this is really how, how it looks in a spine. And you have to bear in mind, if you've got any... Um, any variations from the normal alignment, then they invariably get exacerbated on sitting. Now, the final thing I wanted to touch on is why this constant illusion? Why do we talk a lot about the fact that you don't really know what's going on inside the spine? Uh, we've had people just in, in the last uh, couple of weeks coming in where they've said, you know, I've got hyperlordosis, I've got too much curve in the lower back, and the x-ray literally looks like the one uh, furthest from me that way. The mirror here, the mirroring here is just a nightmare. <laughs> um, so it's over that way, that way, that way. Uh, the one furthest from me here. And what's happening is because the, the, the bum is tucking under, but the spine is swaying backwards further, it creates the illusion that we have too much curve. And all too often this catches people out, practitioners, when they're examining you, and will then tell you to do more pelvic tucks, more tucking the bum under. And that really just is, is absolutely no good for the underlying problem. It really does create uh, further exacerbation of that issue. It puts further pressure on those discs and it really does, although it opens out that nerve space, it's really not helping that lower back in the long term. So we want to be very mindful of these exercises. So hopefully this has given you guys a better understanding of why we don't recommend forward bending, but the impacts that it has and what pelvic tilt actually looks like. And this is talking about the implications of that pelvic tilt at the level of the lumbosacral, the L5S1, which is one of the most commonly injured segments. I know a lot of you guys in the Back and Shape membership site will have some sort of issues with L4-5 or L5S1. And this is a very, very um, common contributing factor. We've obviously got the benefit of working with x-rays day in, day out. So we kind of know these sorts of things uh, can be an issue. So if we move on to uh, sort of chronistian recovery, and I wanted to cover this because it really helps you guys, if you're suffering from back pain, it helps you really understand your and get some expectations on how quickly these sorts of things should recover. And we've touched on this in past, but if we've got a chron chronic problem, if it's been going on for many years, uh, let's say we've got some arthritic change, so we've got some degeneration in the spine, and we've had this problem for a good number of years, whether or not it's been uh, on and off relapses, the problem has fundamentally been there for many, many years you have to start doing some of these correct things, the things that we talk about in the back in shape, the phase one immediately, and then obviously the phase two. You have to do some of these things correctly for a period of time for that good to start to add up, for those, those positive effects to start to actually pay dividends in the way in which we're functioning on a daily basis. And that is really, really important. And for those of you that have a little bit more of a chronic problem, quite often the phase one stuff that we talk about is 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 relevant but really it's the fact that we've never really done any consistent phase two or phase three work without maybe doing bad stuff at the same time so it hasn't worked if you're doing a great program and we've had a few people that we've spoken to over the over the last couple of months where they're doing some of the phase one stuff or they've moved into phase two but they're also doing other things and again, we've, you've heard me talk about the example before of if you if you know if you're having a salad and meat and, and trying to lose weight and exercising, but you have three cakes every day on the side, you're going to really struggle to lose weight. So with these things, if you're doing all the things that we discuss, but then you're doing knee hugs on a daily basis, or we're doing other peculiar exercises on a daily basis just to add them in, quite often that is really a 
a very bad thing. It disrupts that recovery process and makes some of the exercises that we recommend less effective because we're doing the bad, which is re-aggravating the problem in spite of doing a lot of good work. So moving into phase one, phase two, and phase three, what are these actually doing for you? So a lot of people get stuck prematurely in phase one or stuck, more, not prematurely, the opposite of that. They stay in phase one for too long. Phase one is about doing some simplistic exercises to teach you academically more than anything else to engage the core and start making a bit of flexibility improvement. But a lot of people with chronic pain and chronic back issues with some degenerative change or injury change, we're talking about slipped, bulging discs, herniated discs, spondylolisthesis in particular because they lead to more instability in the spine. A lot of people get stuck in phase one. Oh, I'm scared to go into phase two, that sort of stuff. And that's completely understandable. But the only way we make a real change in the body and start to get a little bit of momentum is if we are able to move into phase two type exercises. And those are exercises which will give you a lasting improvement. They are exercises where once you've been doing them for a week, even if there's a little bit of discomfort along the way and there's some, some pain still on a daily basis, you are getting your body stronger. And therefore each week as you go by, you're making a little bit of improvement and a little bit of improvement. And it may be that you need to make a lot of improvement in those muscles. If we, for example, one of the ex exercises is the, um, is the dead, but also let's say the, take the marching bridges. So with the marching bridges, you are engaging your core, you're stabilizing your glutes and you're lifting your bum off the floor. And then we're going from one leg to the other, one leg to the other. If you can't do that effectively, lying on the floor and switching your weight between one leg and the other, how on earth are we safely walking, standing with our whole body weight on, on, our, on our back and switching from one leg to the other? So a lot of people sometimes get, get stuck. They say, oh, well, it hurts. It hurt when I do that, but it hurts when you walk or it, it hurts when we're up for long periods or the back pain is there on a daily basis. It may not always hurt at the time you're doing something that is problematic, but that's where we need to make some improvement. We need to start to learn to stabilize ourselves off weight bearing in that phase two. And once you do one or two reps of that, maybe that's all you can do, for example, for that exercise. And then, or maybe it's, the, maybe it's a squat. You're getting in and out of chairs every day anyway. You may as well learn to do them correctly. Learn to do them without damaging yourself and make a little bit of improvement. So those phase two exercises are so important, even if you can only do one or two reps. But if after a week or two, you can do two or three reps, we've made a significant improvement. Much more significant than the person that can go in and do 10 reps straight away. Because the percentage of improvement that you will have made is more. Obviously that percentage decreases over time, but you needed a lot of work to be done. So if we're incapable or if we're finding it very difficult to even lie on our back and move our legs once or twice, then that really highlights the, the road of recovery that needs to be that needs to be traveled. And therefore, a little bit of time will allow you to go from doing two reps up to five reps, up to 10 reps, up to three sets. And then we've made some real improvement. And even if we do have a relapse, because it's, it's still not acceptable to only be able to do three, you know, uh, three sets of 10 and that's it of these exercises, we should be a lot more durable than that. But even when you're there, you're better than when you could only do one or two reps. You're less vulnerable. You're less likely to have a relapse. If you do have a relapse, you've got more protection to prevent it being as lasting and as severe. So that's very, very important for you to understand, especially this is, this is more, again, for you guys that are a little bit more chronic, have a little bit more complications around the back pain. And obviously then we're just working slowly towards getting to be able to do the phase three style exercises, which again, we have patients with spondylolisthesis degenerative disease. We've got patients where they've had surgery, where they've got rods in their back, all these sorts of things that are able to get to phase three, that are able to do those exercises. So you can too, if you're watching this, it's just a case of how long does it take you to get there? 
And quite often the road will be one or two steps forwards and then a step back and then three or four steps forwards and then one step back and then five steps forwards and four steps back. And we have those things, but as long as slowly we're making those improvements, that's really the really, really important thing. And with chronic problems, it, it's, it's, it's almost as much of a mental game as it is a physical game in getting better and getting these things resolved. But that's why we put out things like the calendar so you can record your progress and how long it's taking you to do these exercises. It's a case of trying to find those little objective measures of how of how your progress is going. Can I walk for 15 minutes without getting in too much trouble? Now I can walk for 20. Well, that, that's a good improvement. That's a 25% improvement. Sorry, that's a 30% improvement. Um, looking at all these little things that help keep you motivated and seeing the improvement. And obviously, if you start on two reps of some of these exercises and going up to five, you can see the improvement there. So hopefully that's been a little bit of a, a pep talk for some of you guys that are, that are struggling a little bit with back pain and that have had it for a longer period of time. It is possible to fix these things. We've seen it. We have those sorts of patients in the clinic and some of you guys in the membership area are doing fantastic work, even with some of the challenge, some of those challenging circumstances and a testament to that yourselves and, and a great example for for many others that are watching these sorts of videos and trying to get their back better as well. So with that being done, we're going to Q&A. Awesome, yes. Um, we have been getting quite a few people commenting and messaging us and texting us that they're moving on to phase three because they're doing so great, which is absolutely Phase three is, um, and, and it's worth saying, phase two can be a bit of a, not a bit of a drag because you, but but it but it can be. Phase three is where it really gets enjoyable. I know one of the girls in the membership site um, got a was having a bit too much fun with the bands and kind of progressing because it, it's a really fun workout. It's one of those things where you can do it really well. Uh, you can enjoy yourself, have a good bit of fun, um, but don't just get carried away too quickly. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think if you've had if you've had quite a bit of back pain, getting to the point where you can actually do resistance-based exercises is very, very oh, it's enjoyable deal. because it's, yeah. it's a huge improvement. And you start sweating again, you're using it for fat loss as well. Like there's, there's so many benefits to yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, Kim has just said that this was really informative. Thank you. One thing that Thanks, I Kim. Just, one thing that I did want to comment on the x-ray image that's closest to you. My head, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, you can really see why the core exercises are just so important. I call it like a duck-like posture. Yeah. If, you're, if, you're back, if, you're, uh, if your vertebrae are kind of slipping forward yeah. and you don't have any core stability, yeah. you can really see why those exercises are so fundamental oh, to your recovery. So, so um, just on a side note, I mentioned spondylolisthesis. This is where one of the bones slip forwards. You can see in this image here, the one closest to me, the amount of shear that's there in that position. And quite often you have patients... Uh, it's gymnasts, dancers, ballet, um, where they have extreme flexibility um, in the spine and they get stuck into this sort of position, this hyperlordosis sort of position, and that then can result in things like spondylolisthesis. So quite often they start out with too much curve because it really makes creates a lot of vulnerability, a lot of pressure on the facet joints, the bit that fails when we have a spondylolisthesis. And then over the course of the decades, they then transverse to the opposite end, the, the, the one furthest from me, to try and tuck up and provide more support, but they overcook it because it, it, it's a bit more of a complicated issue. And you, when you've got those sorts of things, we really need to help you as a patient understand your body and the stresses that it's in under. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to touch on just because I've had a couple of other people and obviously in the clinic, we're seeing mm -hmm. some younger people coming yep. in with back pain. Um, somebody messaged me saying that they're looking to get back into basketball, fairly young guys struggling with back pain. These problems are affecting young people as yeah. well as older people. Yeah. Just kind of wanted to point that out. I think I think uh, you've seen a lot more neck 
issues affecting yeah. the younger generation because they're they're on their smartphones all day for long periods and if you guys have seen any of our videos you know again i mentioned this at the start of this video with regards to the lower back uh the impact that prolonged stress through ligaments can have on the fundamental balances to those ligaments when you're seeing a lot of young people we're talking about teenagers and early 20s where their neck alignment in particular is, is really awful and it, it creates a lot of issues when we later on have disc injuries or degenerative change or just bad luck yeah so if, if anybody knows any young people suffering with uh, back pain please do share it with them because i think they tend to kind of leave it yeah, longer it's a, yeah because yeah. they think oh it would just get better on its own yeah um but you know it's a free program let's let's help them yeah, out too definitely. Um, okay i'm going to move on to some questions karen has asked um uh, if you can tell all of this information on x-rays, why are MRIs necessary? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one of the main criticisms of x-rays is that you don't um, you don't see the soft tissue. So on these images that you can see here, you can't see the discs. But we know that the discs should have a certain height to them. They should have a certain size to them. And you can normally establish that within someone's spine. You can say, look, these spaces are bigger than those spaces. You can actually see the image furthest from me just just above the one where the top pink arrow is in, um, you can actually see that the disc space there is, is really starting to be reduced and that joint is actually bending forwards, that top part of the lumbar spine, so exerting quite a lot of pressure through those discs. Um, so you can see the space. And the thing is the disc is a certain amount of, for example, I got a glass of water here, okay? If I just took the glass and just started, obviously it wasn't a glass, but if I press down here, the fluid has to go somewhere. So it's going to go to the side. So we know that there's a set amount of material that should be in this space. If the space drops that way, it has to come out to the side. So we can infer and we can see. And often, if it's been there for a long period of time, you see some degenerative bony change um, as well. You can see that there is a space there that is bigger or smaller than it otherwise should be but you cannot see the soft tissues. The reason that people go down the route of MRIs a little bit more is because they want to see the discs. They want to see where is the disc, where can we inject, where can we do a surgery to chop it off. It's, it's all about the system. The system of going to the, um, the physiotherapist or the GP and then going to get an MRI done is so they can say, are we going to send you for surgery or injections? The problem with an MRI is that, again, I've used this example before, if this cup was leaking, if there was a hole in this cup, uh, glass, sorry, it's no good me trying to look for the leak when there is no water in the glass. As soon as I put water in the glass, I put stress on the boundaries, stress on the structure. I'll see, oh, the leak comes out here. That's where the problem is. Now, this these people, all each three of these people that are in these X-ray images, may or most likely will from experience will look very very different when they lie down as soon as they lie down on their back their spine will change its structure and the lower back's fundamental function is not to support anything when you're lying down it's there to resist the load of gravity effectively and allow you as a human being to effectively integrate and move around your environment so looking at it from a mri point of view when you're lying down does not give us any concept of how that spine low uh, uh, bears weight we can't make any of these measurements we can't make any of these inferences and quite often you see or not quite often but more often than you'd like to see we see people lying down on an mri and it looks like a simple disc injury for example a bulging disc herniated disc a dehydrated disc and then you stand them up and you see this spondylolisthesis that i mentioned where they shift forwards and this is that person that's really had had a lot of back trouble for a long period of time they don't fully grasp 
that as soon as you load that spine, things sometimes change. So from our point of view, getting you guys to do exercises at home in the clinic when we're doing treatment and getting patients to do rehab at home, because you can do treatment, but unless you do rehab properly, the things are going to come back because there's a reason you injured yourself in the first place. And most of it is down to inefficiencies and maybe a little bit of bad luck at the same time. So we have to get rehab done. If we don't understand the way in which your spine is load bearing on a daily basis, then we can't make recommendations that guard against some of the inherent weaknesses that you have that guard against some of the challenges that your spine has, and sometimes that can correct some of the misalignments or, or, or maladaptions that your body has. We can do that, but we need to know where you're starting. Um, it, it's the same thing as, as, a journey, as, as planning a route. If you have no idea where you're starting on the map and no idea where you're going, well, you, maybe you know where you're going, but you don't know where you're coming from. So you have to have a starting point and an end point, and, that allow, and using the x-rays allows us to evaluate. We know what the end point is, it's a normal alignment, we need to figure out where you are right now and how far away from that route are on that route are you. So, so seeing the x-ray standing up is just so much more helpful than an MRI unless your sole purpose is to move on to doing some sort of surgical intervention. And look, if you've got something like cordoquina or some serious uh, red flags, we've lost bladder and bowel control, for example, we, we're struggling to go to the bathroom, we've got shooting pain down both legs at the same time constantly alongside that bladder and bowel syndrome, We've had maybe a severe, severe trauma car accident that's resulted in these things immediately. Then you need to go and get that MRI and they need to do what they need to do to, to make sure it doesn't progress very quickly. But the overwhelming majority of those cases is not that. And that's where we need to better understand what can we do to help this human being more effectively integrate with the environment and, and, and save themselves from making things worse over time. Okay, awesome. Uh, some really great questions coming through. Kate has said, thank you for this. Uh, it again. Thanks, uh, Kate. It, it again takes away the guilt of why I seem to go one step forward, three steps back. And also, an X-ray does it show the ligaments and the tendons? No, 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 no. Um, we, we we should hopefully not be going one step forward and three step back, three steps back, Kate. <laughs> we should. It's the other way around. Three three and one is okay. Three and two is okay. Um, as long as we're going forwards, that's really really important. Um, with regards to the ligaments and tendons, again, they're soft tissues. So what you often do find is that, particularly on some of the x-rays in the neck, you will start to see increased calcium lay down around the ligaments and tendons where they're starting to become stressed and on the lower back. None of these really show it too much, uh, these particular x-rays. Um, but you will also see a little bit of calcium lay down around the set edges of the discs where we've got constant pressure. And that's, you, you might've had an MRI, not, not you Kate specifically, but you watching this might've had an MRI or an X-ray in the past. And they've spoken about osteophytosis, spondylosis or spondylarthrosis, or your GP said you've got arthritis in the spine. That's what they're going to be referring to. Okay, awesome. Veronica has said, when I first started doing the marching bridges in phase two, I found my body seemed to sway from yeah. side to side. Was that because I hadn't engaged my core properly? Um, there's a few things with that, actually. That's really good. Um, I, I was having a discussion with one of, one of the uh, members the other day about this. And essentially, that could be a number of things. Number one, it could be the core, but more likely, it's the core is not working with the leg muscles. So at the phase two part of the protocols, what you're working on here is actually allowing your core to work effectively with your leg muscles, your hip muscles in particular. We're talking about the glutes, the other hip rotators that are in that region, so that your core is able to work seamlessly with one side engaging and then the other, one side engaging and then the other, without being thrown too far off. So it's actually showing you that, look, there's a quite a big disconnect between the midsection and the leg muscles, they're not working as one seamless sheet of muscle that is dynamic. They're kind of a bit jittery and a bit 
uh, it's like watching a dance where all the dancers are kind of out of time and we want to get everyone in sync and that's it's that practice that allows all those dancers the hips the abs the core the lower leg muscles to all start to work in time to allow them to work effectively and that's when you can hold everything steady and just switch from one leg to the other and that's what you're working on it's really good that you're kind of paying attention to that and over time you can see yourself getting better one thing that's really good and, and some of you guys do this some of you guys won't but taking either a picture or a video a selfie video of you actually doing these exercises when you start them and then taking the video of the same exercise once a week or, or once every couple of weeks just allows you to then reflect on you uh, you know that that's a really good thing what get, what gets measured gets accomplished what gets what gets tracked gets achieved and if you're constantly tracking your performance you'll also see that that improvement takes place which also is another another boost another boon to your motivation which is really important Okay, awesome. Faye has asked, is it unhelpful to have developed a lot of flexibility in the spine or do we need a, a balance of flexibility and stiffness? Um, there's a, a balance is, is, is definitely what we really want. Uh, we don't want excess flexibility. We don't want excess stiffness. Um, I think that girls in particular um, tend to get a little bit more caught out with the flexibility problems. Um, they tend to be more likely to suffer with hypermobility, which means we've got natural ligament laxity in all the joints. Um, and therefore, they, but they also tend to do a little bit less in the way of strengthening side of things. So what we have now is if we have an injured structure, we injure the back, but then we have a more wobbly than normal structure, i.e. we've got more flexibility with less muscular capacity to protect that wobbly structure. And that's where we get in trouble. The, the common ones there are the ex-gymnasts, the ex-ballet dancers, those guys that are really, really strong and flexible in their youth when they're doing those activities. They keep the flexibility to a good, good degree as they age because the ligaments just have a different collagen makeup. They're naturally a little bit more flexible and they've been conditioned over many, many years. The muscles waste a lot more quickly and then they're stuck in a position where they've got a good degree more flexibility than they normally would have, but much, much less muscular support for that area. And that's when they really struggle in terms of back pain. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, and joint pain in general, knees, ankles. Just interesting about this balance um, concept with the marching bridges and um, just yep. on a side note, I was doing what they called uh, bird dogs. Bird dogs, yeah. Yep, and yep. I found that my balance was awful. Of, so I think yeah. maybe that's something that we should cover in a topic maybe next week, just talk about balance yeah, and the exercise. There, there, are some, um, there are some more advanced little ones that you could potentially do to start to uh, really take that to the next level. But I think for most of the guys doing the back in shape, just focusing on those marching bridges and the dead bugs to start with, um, we don't want to do anything too fruity too quickly. I always say sometimes people get caught out doing things that maybe there's no real upside for doing those other than being able to say you can do them. Um, so let's focus on the basics. But I think there are some definite um, options for sort of phase three type work that we can add in as some possible variations. Uh, let us. I know a lot of you guys watching this won't be in phase three, but if you are or approaching that phase three, let us know in the comments if you find it useful to have an additional, perhaps an additional workout in phase three. So you can switch between the two and we can work on maybe producing something like that for you guys uh, and go through it uh, with you. Okay, awesome. And um, Faye has said, it sounds like having an x-ray is uh, a much more preventative method for helping us know how to improve our long-term, uh, the long-term health of our spine, uh, rather than just diagnosing where the pain is. Yeah. Um, so Lara, you've had an x-ray. I've had an x-ray. My brothers have both had x-rays. Both my parents have had an x-ray. Your parents have had an x-ray. Your brother's had an x-ray. Um, I think they're very important. 
Um, if it's good enough for my parents, it's good enough for every single one of you guys watching this. Um, yes, they need to be done properly in accordance with, with the necessary regulations, etc. Uh, but I think it's very important. It's knowing your body. Some people don't care, but a lot of people do. Um, and it's, it's always better to understand what's going on before it's a problem, a overt problem. When it's a problem, we definitely want to know what's going on. There was actually, I, I can't recall the exact specifics, but uh, one of the guys we went to university with, Andrea, um, in Northern Italy, he was telling me about a system they had in uh, the, the schools, teenagers, uh, and they would actually scan them. They would routinely screen the whole school year for scoliosis. So they go and they get an wow. x-ray. They get a standing x-ray, bang, 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 bang. And they were able to pick people up so much faster uh, to actually help them with those scoliosis uh, things, uh, scoliosis deformities, which, which may, or, may or may not have been mild or severe at that time, but it was it was a very, very successful um, uh, sort of endeavor. Uh, I don't know what happened with that, but that was quite a while ago. Um, but that's something like that, I, I just, that it's, is... it's your back, and I really struggle to see why you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the first time I had an x-ray off my back, I must have been 23 years old, yeah. 24 years old. Probably and I did it. Yeah, yeah. and it's it great to have that that base so you know where your spine was. And, you know, if, if you ever um, trip or you have a minor accident yeah. and then you have a re-x-ray, you can see, okay, this is where I was. Now what's, you know, where's, what's happened with the alignment? Yeah. And how can I fix it quickly? The, the, the big one with the neck is um, quite often when people have a car accident um, and they have a whiplash, they're immediately looking for bony damage. But if your neck went from that and now when you get the x-ray, it's like that or maybe like that with a bend in it, that's a massive trauma to those soft tissues, which isn't going to be picked up or looked at by the guys in A&E at the time. And therefore, you're not going to be at all aware of the severe importance that we did not get caught into that position and allow those heal those ligaments that have been damaged and torn in that accident to heal in a bad way. So um, understanding your personal alignment, I, I think, is very, very important. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're speaking very positively positively about x-rays which is great we're not recommending that people go for an x-ray now every single month but it's something that no, you, no 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 you know, not, at all. not at all when you do it you do it and then you yeah and, and then that's yeah. kind of it you might need a one reassess yeah. and that's Th there's it there's absolutely no need to get it x-rays all the time yeah there's absolutely no need to get this done on a on a, on a daily weekly no, no, or monthly no. basis um but knowing at one point snapshot in time that you were okay is uh, i think quite helpful yeah um, cheryl has asked are they just standard x-rays you use so there's a few principles with the x-rays. Uh, yes, they're, they're standard, they're normal. Um, and x-ray technology has come a long way, uh, you know, uh, digital x-rays, et cetera, rather than film x-rays. And I won't get into that too much uh, in terms of in terms of all the sort of the specifics around x-rays, but a few points of reference. Number one, normal standing up for x-rays. We're front from the side so we can see things. Uh, and then when we do the front on x-rays for the lower back, we also have the heels together. The heels together standardizes the measurement. Uh, it's very, very, very repeatable. Uh, it's very, very accurate. And the great thing about that is that you can then effectively measure the leg length. So a lot of you guys that are watching this, uh, maybe you are in the back shape or maybe you're not. Uh, you'll have been to an osteo -chiro physio and they say, oh, one leg's longer than the other, let's pull it. It doesn't work like that. You can't just, it's not a telescope. Your leg isn't a telescope. You can't just yank it and it kind of unloads a little bit. Uh, your leg is a fixed length. Um, you're not going to be changing that. There. There are some caveats to that in very, very young children, uh, but you're not changing the length of the leg. And most of the time when people are measuring these uh, leg lengths, they're doing it in a way that is just um, full of potholes and incredibly inaccurate. So when we do those standing x-rays, you can actually see 
uh, and you can standardize the procedure because all sorts of things can influence it. If you're standing and your arches are dropped on one side more than the other, that affects the leg length. But by standing with the heels together, you kind of take the arches out of the equation a bit more and it's just one bone on top of another bone on top of another bone. And if you're bending one knee in, inappropriately, it, it's glaringly obvious. So the radiologist can say, look, uh, sorry, the radiographer can say, uh, stop bending your knee, stand with the legs straight, please. And then we can really see the impact um, on that person. Now, other people might disagree with that. It's important to note. Some people might say, oh, you should stand comfortably. But comfortably is not repeatable. Comfortably is not accurate and it's not scientific. Um, and, and that's when people get open to um, sort of, oh, well, you were stood funny on the x-ray, etc. Okay, awesome. Um... Faye has said this is really helpful. I really want to get an X-ray now. Um, Kate has said, "Why do the NHS jump straight to MRIs um, then, as they must be more expensive anyway?" Is that is that Kate? Yeah, yeah, Kate. Yeah, Kate. I don't think anyone will have the experience of the uh, NHS jumping quickly to an MRI. <laughs> uh, they go to MRI first, but it's invariably very not quickly. Wait, it's no. a very long, long, long wait. Um, but I wonder why they do always go for MRI. It's be because it, it, it's the it. system. No, it's the system. Yeah. <laughs> so the system there is there is a protocol. You go to your GP, uh, go away and see how it goes. You go back to your GP, here's some painkillers. You go back to your GP, go and do these exercises. You go back to the GP, um, MRI. If Once you know the journey, it kind of all makes sense. MRI, then it's, then it's two choices. More exercises or surgical route. So we're now looking at injections and then we're looking at just removing the bit, just take the bit out, get rid of it, uh, chop it out, remove it, whatever it may be. So that's the purpose. The MRIs are really invaluable bits of material. If your, if your future goal is, or your future end goal is going to be a, a surgical intervention, x-rays really are quite useless in that respect because you can't see the soft tissues that you might want to remove. Now you can see very, very clearly the spondylolisthesis. Um, if you've got a fracture or a break or anything like that, it's very, very easy to pick those things up. But um, the MRI is, is, is that route because of, of those reasons. It's, it's the most helpful for that sort of end game. And I think when you're talking about other scans, they can do CT scans and those sorts of things. Um, but there are a, a lot of MRI tubes, so I won't get into that. Okay, awesome. Um, and just one more question about sort of the X-rays, MRIs, and I've got some more questions. Yeah, um, sure. So, uh, would you recommend a second MRI after the treatment, uh, for example, after finishing phase three, uh, to see the results? This is from Sele. Uh, um, you could potentially go for a second MRI um, to have a look again. Um, I would give yourself a good few months because the disc material should then start to heal. We should start to remove some of those discs. Uh, some some of those sort of the debris etc. Um, so it can be useful if money's if you know if money's there and we can do it. The MRIs in answer to someone else's question as well. Uh, MRIs are going to be if we talk about in London near us, they're going to be two hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty pounds most of the time. There are other places that will charge you seven hundred, eight hundred or so, but two hundred fifty to three hundred three hundred fifty pounds for an MRI. Whereas the same lumbar X-ray would be around about eighty pounds to hundred pounds. Um, there again, there's variations, but that's a, a approximate choice. Um, so if you if you do have the capacity to uh, you know get an MRI, you want to get one done, uh, and, and you're happy to spend the money, I would give yourself some time. I really would say give yourself sort of what six months or so um, to just allow that to heal, make sure you've made progress uh, from the point of view of a physical standpoint, and then it, it can be worth doing that because quite often you see things start to heal. 
Okay, awesome. Um, guy, uh, people watching on Facebook, my screen's completely frozen. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just writing in the comments that you can still hear us and see us, that would be really great. Um, I'll move over to YouTube. Uh, Joe has asked, what are the best exercises for sway back posture? Um, so sway back posture is that towel. Um, the towel is a really, really good one um, because it's going to help reorientate you. Uh, you. You sometimes put the towel a little bit higher when we're doing it for sway back posture, but I, I, I think, guys, it, I wouldn't get too caught up in that little bit. Uh, it's something that you can do. Now, the other thing that's really good for sway back posture is going to be when you get into the phase three routine, the, the rows and the revert, uh, sort of the, the middle back engagement, those sorts of exercises, when we're popping that chest out, you want to imagine if you're a lady, where your bra strap comes in in the middle, and if you're a man, just imagine you're wearing a bra, um, it kind of pulls you up towards the cornering of the ceiling. And that's how we want to pop that chest up and out, as we, we've discussed on some of the videos. And even on those videos, when we're doing those two particular exercises, we actually discuss that principle anyway. You can see me doing it. That will help with that sway back posture as we start to strengthen up those back muscles. They work well with the core and they work well with the lower leg muscles. Um, you will find that that sway back posture improves. But it's also a conscious thing up here. Okay, awesome. Um, great. Thank you so much, guys, for letting me know. I can still see your comments, but I cannot see the image at all. Um, uh, I think last question, then we'll go to Ollie. He said, is it more common to have the spine on the left-hand side or on the right-hand side? Which one is easier to correct? Great question. Um, uh, easier to correct? Hmm. I'd probably say they're both equally challenging and equally easy at the same time. Uh, generally speaking, in about a three-month period, three to four-month period, you can change the curve by about 25%. Uh, so that's 25%. We should have a 40 degree curve. That one on there, look, the, the one closest to my head looks maybe it's, I haven't measured this, they're not our x-rays. Um, they're probably about 48 to 52 degrees or so. And the one on the far side looks uh, probably somewhere in the region of 20, maybe 15 to 20 degree curve. Uh, the one actually in the middle is a reduced curve as well. That would probably be as easy as the one closest to my head. The one on the far side is a little bit more complicated because we, that's actually called a sigmoid curve. You'll see that the one closest to me and the one in the middle both have one curve to them. The one furthest from me is a little bit more degenerative, a little bit more complicated because it's got a backward bend in the lower part and a forward bend on the top. And that is uh, mechanically extremely in uh, unstable. It's, it's not a very good way to be. Um, I won't get into too much of the mechanics of that but it, it's it's not helpful because uh it, it's just an abnormal structure it's going to weight bear uh, very poorly and that one is probably a little bit more complicated to uh, to work with it will take a little bit more time um and uh and, and that's that's probably the answer okay awesome there is just one more question here alex yeah, sure. said um on youtube what is the sway back posture he might have just joined us recently because we did cover it in the beginning of the video but the sway back posture is literally that far one. Um, so the sway back posture, imagine you are carrying a heavy box uh, is the easiest way to do. You carry the box in the middle. I'll just try and stand up here. So you carry the, you've got the box here and all you do, instead of being up and out, so we're up in a good position, we just, boom, back here and we're carrying that heavy box. That is an over-exaggeration of the sway back posture. It's not, it's not effective. It's like you're carrying a heavy box. It's also generally the position that pregnant ladies get into as they start to become more heavy on the front. It's a counterbalance uh, mechanism. And if you are a lady that's gonna be pregnant or is pregnant or is going through pregnancy, 
Um, then this obviously continues after pregnancy as well because you're carrying the child uh, outside, obviously. Um, but you really want to be mindful of this. Mm. So those phase three exercises, the, the two that I mentioned earlier, are really, really important. Doing our squats is really, really important. And the other exercises that we recommend will really help you guard against that posture. And once you know what it is, that, that kind of carrying the heavy box posture, you, it has all sorts of implications up in the neck as well. Um, but you'll really be able to guard against it being a, re- a more severe problem in the, uh, in the medium to long term. Okay, awesome. Alex just meant, uh, said, yes, yeah, sorry, I missed the, the earlier bit. Yes, this is okay. the way I walked, but mirroring, yeah. uh, mirror posturing helped a lot. Thanks, Michael. Oh, good. Awesome. Yeah, mirror, mirror posturing is really good. Uh, it's just basically take where you are and do the exact opposite. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, I think that's it for today, which is great. Awesome. So but much. hopefully you guys found uh, today's live stream interesting. Uh, again, if you're new to the channel and you find these videos helpful, then please do consider subscribing to the channel. We go live every single weekday, uh, normally in the mornings, uh, around about 8.45 to 9 p.m. I think tomorrow we're going live at 8.45 again. Yes. Uh, 8.45. Diabetes. So, well, yeah, we're going to be talking about diabetes tomorrow. So hopefully that one will be really, really interesting for you. Some, some really cool stuff there. Uh, so hopefully you found today's live stream helpful. Again, if you do find these useful and you know someone that would benefit, then please do consider sharing the YouTube channel with them, uh, sharing the video with them if you're watching on Facebook. And uh, with that being said, have a great afternoon, guys. It's going to be really warm outside today. So enjoy the sunshine uh, wherever you are. If you're watching this after the fact, then hopefully you did manage to enjoy it. And we will see you tomorrow with another live stream.